0: Up from the airplane, looking down, all you saw was green for miles upon miles upon miles. And I was a good distance. On one particular day, we had work projects that we were working on, and I was uh, this particular day a good bit away from every one of the other workers. Um, we were building a all-purpose building, and we had a crew up there helping out with this. And there was a huge pile of dirt, literally from about the floor to the ceiling. Over this way, I was on the other side of that dirt, and everyone else was on this side of, of that pile. And I was leaning over um, a like a little well that was just about two and a half foot by two and a half foot wide in the opening. And I was leaning over that well, cleaning a, a, a paintbrush. Um, but one thing I didn't know, as uh, being in, being new there, was that the wood around this thing was all rotten. And I leaned down, I put my one knee on it, and all of a sudden, before I knew it, I went straight down into that thing. I had something in my hand, so my hands were in front of me. And you know, when you go straight down into a little square, you can't turn around. I went straight down into that thing. And as fast as I went down into that thing, the only other thing I remember is someone pulling my leg out. And uh, on this particular moment, um, I realized that God had done something in my life. My pastor from my home church in Minnesota was going to Canada on a fishing trip with several other men. And halfway up on this trip, my pastor looked at the other guys in his vehicle and he said, Guys, uh, I hate to ask you to do this, but I've got to go over to Camp of the Woods. So he said... You know, you guys are welcome to ride along with me Or those of you that want to get to where we're going fishing But I need to go this way And they said, why? He said, I don't know um, As they rearranged their seating arrangements My pastor came towards the camp It was about two and a half hours out of his way He had no intention of going there But God laid it on his heart to go there So he did well as he was coming into the drive, which is about a about a about a three mile long drive into the woods from the from the Trans Canada Highway, and uh as he came in, the roadside was on the other side of the dirt pile where I was. And from across the field about two or three hundred yards long, he saw me go in head first. And he come flying across the field, grabbed my leg and pulled me out. No one else saw me, but my pastor. And he said, I guess I know why I was supposed to come. And uh, he pulled me out, gave me a hug, said hey, and took off. Went, to the, went on his fishing trip. <laughs> that was the second time God saved my life as a, as a young person. The other time I uh, almost was hit by a car and someone pulled me back. I never saw the car. Never saw it. But I know that from that point on, God impressed upon my heart that the, he had a job for me to do. And I know at that moment, He began to work in my life that, hey, this is what you need. God will give us what we need when we need it. I don't know if you've experienced that kind of provision in your life, but I'm sure you found yourself at one point or another needing God to provide. In my particular case, I needed God to provide someone to save my life. I don't know what it is that you need God to provide, but I've learned... The God is never late. He's never early. He's right on time. And the Lord provide me with a new opportunity to serve Him. I don't know about you, but those are eye-opening experiences in your life. Those are moments that God gets your attention. And at that moment, what do you do with it? How do you respond when God does those things and you know it's not coincidence, we know it's not happenstance, it's not a it's not luck. It's God stepping forward and giving you what you need. And there's no other explanation for it than that. Well, God saved my life for a purpose, and I'm sure he's done many things like that in your life before. And that's why I've often said, what I do for a living is not a career choice. It's a calling. Um, God called me to preach. God called me to lead a church. It's not a career choice because there's other career choices that might be a lot, a whole lot easier, maybe a little more, uh, less stressful at times. But when God works, we know it's Him that's working, and we have to acknowledge it and as that. There's a man in the Bible that learned God would provide. His name was Abraham, and the word Jehovah Jireh means that God will foresee and provide. Jehovah-Jireh. So, if you would, follow along as I begin reading in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 22. I'm going to read the first 14 verses or so. So says, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand he took the fire and the sacrificial knife, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father, and replied, Here I am, my son, Isaac said. The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son, then the two of them walked on together. When they arrived in the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He found his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and replied, Here I am. Then he said, Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only son from me. Abraham looked up and saw a ram cut in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named that place the Lord will provide. So today is said, it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Just for a few moments this morning, I want you to catch some key things in this story. And uh, to me, this is a story that in all honesty, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. It makes sense from the standpoint of hearing the story and knowing what God is going to do, but it's not a story that I would say, wow, that's just really neat. I don't know if there any neat story where a, God, where a man is asked to take his son and kill him, and that being neat. I don't understand that. But I do understand this, that God works in mysterious ways. He works in ways that you and I don't understand, and He works in a way that ultimately will bring Himself glory. That's the way God works. And as you look at this thing, very, in the very beginning of verse 1, Abraham is about to be tested concerning his faith. And I don't know about you, but there's not a test that I really enjoy. I didn't enjoy it in grade school. I didn't enjoy it in high school. I did not enjoy it in college. I do not enjoy tests at all. And oftentimes, I know like you and I together, we don't enjoy being tested concerning our faith. But it's the test that reveals who we really are and what we really know. And so God is about to test Abraham concerning his faith. And he did this, and he said, here I am. The very response of Abraham tells us that he was listening to God's voice. I mean, who who it is that that God's getting his attention, he's testing him, and he says, here I am, Lord. I wonder, how do we respond when God's trying to get our attention? See, there's a lot of things that we can do. We can run from what God is asking us to do. We can delay what God is asking us to do. Or we can make excuses as to why we shouldn't have to do what God asks for us to do. But Abraham didn't do any of those. He simply said, here I am, Lord. And I think that's a, re- a response to every one of us at the model in our lives. To know that God is working in our lives. And for us to be able to say, God, I'm listening. You do whatever you want. It's not always the easy thing to do, but it's the right thing to do. And he says, verse 2, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. I mean, here it is. God is acknowledging who this man is. He's acknowledging that he loves his only son, and he's asking him to give up probably one of the most dearest and nearest things to his heart. Another application we have to ask ourselves about. What is it that is nearest and dearest to our heart? What is it that we would place so much affection and importance on and our focus on that we just hold dear to our heart? It may be a child. It may be a possession. It may be a relationship. It may be a job. It may be something that I have never even thought of. But the bottom line is every one of us in this room have things that are near and dear to our heart. And I wonder if God were to say, will you be willing to give that up? I wonder what we would re- how we would respond. Would we be willing to give up what is nearest and dearest to us? You notice that Abraham never batted an eye. He never said, oh, but God, He's the only one I've got. God, you understand how much I love Him. God already knew those things. And God knows the very things and the very excuses that we could come up with as to why we would not give Him what He's asking us to give. So right away in the beginning, says, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you of. So you're going over to this Moriah, and you're going to find this place, and he goes, I'm going to let you know the right spot when you get there. Verse 3. So Abraham gets up early in the morning, he saddles his donkey, and he takes with him two of his young men, and his son Isaac, and he split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. And here's the thing he's, Abraham's getting ready to go, and he's out here getting the wood ready, and he's piling on the donkeys, and he's bringing these, these young servant men with him, and they're going to the place. And look at verse 5. I'm sorry, verse 4. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. I mean, here it is. How do you know that this is the place? How do you know where where it is that God wants him to stop? How does he know he's in relationship with God? I don't know, but I don't know about you, but I know in my own life that the greatest key to any relationship is what church communication, right? We talk about that a lot. And here's the thing: I know that when I'm in one room and my wife is in the other room on the other side of the house, and she yells at me to do something, oftentimes it's kind of hard to hear. And we, because we can't hear, we yell, What? What was that? And you get the idea after about three times of screaming, What? That it's just easier to get off your duff and go over here and say, No, what was that? What's the deal? The closer you are to the person you're communicating with, the easier it is to hear. You ever thought about that? Isn't that a neat concept? The closer you are to someone, the easier it is for you to hear what they're saying. That's how Abraham knew that this was the place that God was telling him to to lay his son as a sacrifice. He was walking close to God, and he was listening to God, and his ears were open to what God was asking him to do. And the only way for you and I to know what God is asking us to do is to stay close with Him. Amen? You have to be close to God if you want to listen to Him. If you want to hear what He's asking you to do, you have to stay close. And the closer you are, the easier it is to hear. So Abraham is walking close with God and he's listening to God's voice and he's open to what God is asking him to do. He's obediently going to that that direction and he sees it from afar and he says, this is the place. And I think this story has some interesting things right here. Look at verse 5. Then Abraham says to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to... What's the word? Worship. Wow! The boy and I will go over here to worship. Wait a minute, did you not hear the beginning part of the story? Abraham, I want you to go and I want you to sacrifice your only son that you love. And Abraham says, the boy and I are going over here to worship. And he saddles up his own son with the wood that he will be laying on. Is that not strange? I mean, he loads up his own son to be laying on the, to, to, with the wood that he will eventually be put on. But look what he says here. It's not the end of the verse. Verse five. Stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship. Then we will, what's the phrase? Come back. Wow. Isn't that amazing that God put that in the story? He's telling the young men, we're going to go over here and worship and then we are going to come back. There's something we're missing. Let's go on here. So Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac, and in his hand he took the fire and the sacrificial knife, and the two of them walked together. Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father, and he replied, Here I am, my son. Isaac, the fire and the wood are here. Or Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? I mean, this doesn't take a genius to know that we are going to do a sacrifice. I mean, Isaac has to know that as his father is asking him to go to this place, that they're going there to worship, that they're going to give a sacrifice. And it doesn't take a genius to realize that we've got wood, we've got fire, we've got the knife, but what is it that we're going to sacrifice, Father? But he had also heard that Guys, stay here. My son and I are going to go worship and then we're going to come back. This doesn't compute. And Isaac replied, I'm sorry, Abraham answered verse 8, God Himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Then the two of them walked on together. And Isaac, I believe, trusted his father enough to know, he says, Okay, let's keep going. And when they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his, and took his knife to slaughter his son. That had to have been one of the most difficult things that Abraham had ever done. That had to have been a very, very difficult thing. To sit here, and I don't—I can't imagine completely how this thing looked like, but maybe some type of rock base that was built up, and on top of the rocks, there's wood laid across it, and there's this fire, and by, but before they set fire to it, and before he does this, he, he lays them out there, and he, and all of a sudden, he's, his own son is bound. Can't move, and he's laid on this altar. Could you do it? Could you give up what is nearest and dearest to you? I don't know that I could. I could sit here in my spiritual piety and say, "Oh yeah, I do that because I'm, I'm obedient to God. I do, I do whatever God asks me to do." I could sit here and say that, but if I were in His sandals, I don't think I could do it. That would be a true step of obedience and trust in God, ultimate trust. But I still believe that Isaac trusted his dad. And Abraham trusted his heavenly father. And we're going to find that out a little bit later. And just as he's about to raise his knife, verse 10, to slaughter his hand, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham! Abraham! And he replied, here I am. And then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your only Son from me. Stop right there just for a minute. What is it that God has asked you to do? What is it that God is laying on your heart? I don't know. I've found out over the last several years it's easy to say, Hey, Pastor, we should do this. i got this burden for this, but you want someone else to do it. Or God is asking you to do this and we say, not right now. Or God is asking you to do this and we say, well, I'm not really capable of that so I'm going to kind of do this thing over here because ultimately it's just getting things done so I'm just going to do my own thing. But remember in verse 1, this was a test. This is a test. And I don't know about you, but I want to pass the test with a good grade. I may not like the test, but I want to do well on it. I want to do the best that I can because God says that, right? First 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. I want to do the best I can. I want to stand before God faithful. I want to hear those words, well done, thou faithful servant. And as He's willing to do this, He says, I know that you are unwilling to do whatever I ask you to do. And in that moment, God provides a ram caught in a thicket. He says, don't lay a hand on him. Verse 13, Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. You can imagine just for a moment, Isaac is going, that was close. But he trusted just like his father trusted. And Abraham named that place the Lord will provide. So today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. Look at verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn this is the Lord's declaration because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son. I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. Your offspring will possess the gates of your enemies, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. And Abraham went back to his young men, and they got up and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham settled in Beersheba. Okay, let's review just for a moment. There's a test here. And the test is of Abraham's faith and obedience. He passes the test. God provides a lamb. But notice when the blessing came. The blessing comes after the obedience. You see, there's something kind of messed up in our culture. We want the blessing without the obedience. You see that? We want the blessing, and we kind of even go so far as to tell God what the blessing is that we want. God, you know I want this thing and I want you to do this and I want you to do that and I'm praying you for this and praying you for, you know, to you for that. and We want the blessing of God. But can I remind you, the blessing comes after the obedience. As Abraham surrendered his life and responded to God, here I am, and did what God asked him to do, then God says, because of your obedience and because I know you've held nothing back and because I know that you fear me, I will bless you. The blessing follows obedience and faith and trust in God. It can't be any other way. Why would God want to bless us if we're not being obedient? Why would God provide if we're not being obedient? In fact, He goes so far as to say, if you don't listen to Me, if you don't follow Me, you keep living in sin, I'm not going to even listen to your prayers. That's Psalm 66.18. Over and over, God says, walk with Me, fellowship with Me, obey Me, Trust me and I will bless you. That's the order. In closing, I want to read just a couple of verses. Well, let me ask you, let me do this first. What does God expect from me as He provides? What does God expect? Well, number one, He expects complete obedience. Why should He provide for someone who's disobedient? He expects obedience. And number two, He expects us to trust Him. We've been looking at that over the last several weeks. I want to look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, just for a moment. So turn your Bibles to Hebrews, chapter 11. And look at verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promise, and he was offering his unique son. The one it had been said about, your seed will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. As an illustration, he received him back. Think about this. How great was Abraham's faith? I believe his faith was so great that even if he had come down with that knife and sacrificed his son, I believe that Abraham believed that God would bring him back. He had that much faith and trust in God. I wonder, if God asks us to give up something that's near and dear to us, do we have enough trust and faith and obedience in God that if, as we surrender it, as we give it to Him, that we trust God enough that He's going to replace it with something better? Sometimes we have this idea that God is just up there just trying to make life miserable for us. He's just waiting for us to mess up. Like, God is a God of love and blessing. But do we trust Him enough that when He asks us to surrender something, when He asks us to give something up, do we trust Him enough that He knows what He's doing? That He's got something better in in, in mind. That He's got another plan that we may not know about just yet. Remember Romans 8.28, All things work together for good to who? To them that love God and are called according to His purpose. God, I love you enough to trust you that if you ask me to do something, that you ask me to surrender something, if you ask me to sacrifice something, you've got a plan and you know what you're going to do with that. Do we trust Him that much? Look back at verse 8. Hebrews 11 verse 8. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and went to a place he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. That's a, that's a foreign concept. That's more or less getting in the car and just go. Well, where am I supposed to go? Just go. Oh, which stretch? Just, just go. Huh? You see, we want things to be logically laid out for us. We want to be able to see the end me, the end of what we're going to. And God says, just, just go. Will you step out? I, I'm not going to give you all the details. If I give you all the details right now, I might scare the living daylights out of you. Just, just, just obey. So he went, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in a land of promise. It wasn't even his homeland. But God said, I'm giving you this land, and you're going to rule your enemies. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he is looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. You see, anything that God asks us to do in this life, we have to remember, it's just temporary. It's just temporary. Do you believe that God could come at any time? And we who know Jesus Christ as our Savior will spend eternity in heaven in a... In a land that, whose architect and builder is God. So much better than this earth can offer. What does God expect us to do as He provides? He expects us to keep obeying. He expects us to have faith. And number three, I believe He expects us to be thankful. How thankful was Abraham when, when the angel calls out and he says, Oh! And there's a ram over here. How thankful do you think I, Abraham was? He got to keep his son Isaac. I think sometimes we forget to be thankful for what God is doing. It's really easy to see what God's not doing, isn't it? Because so we all have these prayer lists and these wish lists and these things that we want God to do. And it's really easy to see when it's not getting done. But when it is, do we thank Him as we ought? Do we praise Him as we ought? What has God done for us? Well, according to Romans 8, verse 32, God provided Himself as a lamb. What greater gift is that than God sending His greatest Son, His only Son, Jesus Christ, to come down to earth to leave the splendor of heaven to die a perfect sacrifice as a spotless lamb. And according to Romans 8:32, he provided himself as the lamb. And James chapter one, verse 17 says, "Every good gift and perfect gift coming down from the Father of Lights, with whom there's no variability, neither shadow of turning. That gift is from him." And number three, he provides us with all needs. Philippians 4:19, he reminds us that he says, "I will provide for your needs." Just three verses in closing. Genesis chapter eighteen verse fourteen asks a question: Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return unto thee according to the time of life. Sarah shall have a son. Can you imagine this just for a moment getting that promise? Um, that's not normal. And God says, "I do things that are not normal. I do things." that you can't imagine I do things that you can't that you can't even fathom why? because I'm God no other reason Second 2 Chronicles 25.9 this is a pretty neat verse too. and then Amaziah said to the man of God what should I do about the 7,500 pounds of silver I gave to Israel's division the man of God replied the Lord is able to give you much more than this do we limit God in what He can do? I mean, think about this. We have a concept in our mind that God is able to do this, but this... uh... You see, if we can in our mind fathom it getting done, then it's not hard to have faith in it. But when it looks like it's bigger than life, do I still trust God that He can provide? He says, listen, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. More than you can imagine. More than you thought possible. Because that's God. And Matthew nineteen, twenty-six in closing. It's a familiar verse to all of us. It says, But Jesus looked at them and said, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Do we trust Him? And when God asks you, Are you willing to give up because I know what I'm doing? Are you willing to give up? Are you willing to surrender that which might be nearest and dearest to your heart? Because God's got something better in mind? Are you willing to trust God that He knows what He's doing, that he, God, God has not made any mistakes yet. Do we get that? God has never made a mistake, and He's not starting today with you. He's never made a mistake yet. Do you get that? He's perfect. He's God. And He doesn't do anything but that which is good and best and right for us. But how much do we trust Him to believe that? I can't imagine having to go through what Abraham went through. I can't. There's no way I want to give up anything that near and dear to me as my children. But Abraham had the faith to believe that even if God didn't provide that ram even if he did come down God was going to bring him back because he knew that God would knew what he was doing and guess what God still knows what he's doing in your life and in mine will you trust him let's pray dear heavenly father lord we thank you for the opportunity to look at your word again this morning and i pray god that we would be open and honest about our faith and our trust in You. God, we're reminded that Abraham said that he and his son was going to worship. And in going to worship, he was going to give up his son. God, I don't know what's nearest and dearest to everyone in this room. I can only speak for myself in this area, Lord. But I pray, God, that You would make me Joyfully willing to give up everything in surrender and sacrifice to you, Lord. And Lord, you've reminded us in First John we love because you first loved us. And giving you everything that we've got is the least that we can do. And I pray, God, that you would challenge us to be obedient in this area. But God, I, I know in this auditorium there are those that struggle in their faith. They struggle to trust you to know that you know what's best. They struggle to trust you that you're not going to make any mistakes if they give up what's nearest and dearest. So God, would you work in their hearts to draw them closer to you so they can hear your voice, so that they can stay close to you and so they can follow close behind. God, would you work in our hearts